Okay, you'll have to make a decision today. You're going to take the blue pill or you're going to take the red pill? Some months ago, I introduced five statements to you. Let's put them on the board, if you would, Jr. There they are. Under the premise that spiritual growth will not take place in your life unless you acknowledge and embrace those five truths. That's a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? Okay, so take a deep breath. Let's read them together out loud. You ready? Okay. Number one, life is hard. Number two, you are not that important. That was hard for some of you guys. Y'all weren't really enthusiastic about that one, were you? Yeah. Number three, it's not about you. Number four, you are not in control. And number five, you are going to die. Need a glass of water this morning? I'm going to revisit these truths because we need to. And we need to see them as statements from Jesus this morning. We introduced them a while back. And folks, uh, I love the way Jesus did it. So often he made these um, sort of astounding statements and he just let it fall on people and just let it rest. And he just let them think about it for a while. He didn't always explain, did he? Now, sometimes he'd get in the back room with the disciples and he might explain a parable. But quite often he made these these these. He stated these truths in such a way that it was almost in your face. And that's what we've been doing. We, we kind of let that kind of roll out there. Life is hard. You know, it's, you're not that important. And it's not about me and I'm not in control and, and you're going to die. I was reminded of that this week. I, I went to the DMV. Uh, it's been 10 years since I renewed my driver's license. And I had to stand there, and they take that picture of you, and it's a real bright flash of light. And when you see the picture, you look like pale as death. I mean, when I saw the picture, I almost drove myself to the hospital. <laughs> Man, I was facing my mortality. I mean, for 10 years, boy, have I aged. You don't realize it until you, you, you hold those two driver's licenses together. Uh, you know, the difficulty is, for most of us, is that we don't begin to even begin to deal with these kinds of truths until later in life. That's the reality. Once we begin to kind of face our mortality, it seems a little simpler that we can begin to admit, well, maybe I'm not as in control as I thought I was, etc., etc. So... Which pill are you going to take? You see, you can take the blue pill and then you can just continue business as usual. um, Believe whatever you want to believe about this thing. Or you can take the red pill, begin to embrace the truths that are there and to live in reality. But it's not an easy pill to swallow. And we've been talking about the presence of God. I really want to make something clear the the goal of the morning is is to help you understand how he comes to us so that you and I will know how we can come to him how we can move 
in our life toward him. And it will involve embracing those five statements in context. How does he come to us? Go back with me. Let's talk about the presence of God for a minute. And this sense of special presence that that uh, Kyle referred to even earlier in the service. Jesus is hanging on a cross. Okay. And as he hangs on a cross, exposed and naked, he cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which translated means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, what's going on there? What's happening? Do you realize what's happening? You see, folks, since the garden, and since we actualized and used our freedom to bring sin into the world, we've been hiding from God. We've been hiding from His presence. Remember when God shows up later in the garden? What is What are Adam and Eve doing? They have stepped back under the shrubbery and they have, you know, they have sown fig leaves for themselves. They have, they're covering up. You see, we've been hiding from the presence of God in our lives. And along comes, you know, along comes Jesus. And here's a man who lives continually in the presence of God, unbroken his entire life. You get it? And now hangs on the cross, and for the first time in his life, he experiences a break, a loss of that sense of relationship, the presence of the Father. My God, my God, why have you turned your back on me? And why? Because it was in that moment that he took and absorbed in himself all of the sins and sinful attitude and rebellion of every one of us and including the whole world. Do you get it? And when it all rested on him, the father looks away. How does he come to us? How does he come to us? We have some women that just got back from women at the cross, and some of us men have been at men at the cross. And listen, can't tell you what really goes on there because you just got to have to experience it. Kind of like what they were talking about in the clip. You just have to experience it. But I will say this: the very first statement made, well, you know, in, well, when you finally get into the room and you're looking at the cross of Christ, the first statement that comes out of the leader's voice was this: if he comes to us. In humility and weakness, can we come to him any other way? Do you get it? He 
God manifests himself in human history through the incarnation to take flesh. And when he takes flesh, he comes into the world as an impoverished little naked infant. And when he goes out, he goes out hanging on a cross naked and exposed and taking all of our sin upon him. If he comes to us in weakness and in humility, do we dare come to him any other way? That's what those five statements are about. That's what they're about. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 5. Listen. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form, in the very nature, literally the very nature of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He comes to us in humility and we, can we come to him? Can we approach him any other way? Not too long ago when we were walk, working our way through the prophets, I introduced you to the concept of chiasm. It's a, a, a Hebrew literary form, and the book of Nahum in the Old Testament is the entire book is a chiasm. And essentially, a chiasm is a, a literary device in which truths are stated in, in a forward kind of motion, and then they are stated again and reiterated in reverse. So you go in, and then you come out, you know, with truth, with the truths on on each side, and it's sort of like building a sandwich. You got two pieces of bread. You remember, if you were here, you have two pieces of bread. You have the bottom piece of bread, then you know, then some mustard and mayonnaise, and then you know, you put a slab of meat in there, maybe a little more mustard, mayonnaise, and another piece of bread. And so a chiasm is is like you know, it looks like you start with bread on both ends. So you, the, the truths go forward, and then the, you back out in in reverse. But the point of a chiasm is to accentuate the truth, the core truth that's in the middle. I hope you're following that because, because I want to show you what is my favorite New Testament chiasm. You know, it's, it's Matthew chapter 11, beginning with verse 28. Listen. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, all of you for whom life is hard. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see the, the chiasm? Show them that, go to the next slide, JR, would you? Here it is. Look. See, notice the layers. We go in. Go forward with truth. We back out in reverse with the truth. Come unto me, but you'll notice you, you end up in a different place in this chiasm. You, you, end up, you, you go in, you come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, again, is easy and my burden is light. And where is the emphasis? What's the core truth? 
What's the meat? Learn of me, Jesus says. I am gentle. I am meek, submissive. I am humble in heart. He comes to us in humility and in surrender. Do we dare come any other way? Ah. And here's the beauty of it. Here's the beauty of it. All of these truth statements are paradoxes. They're paradoxes when you begin to think about it from the words of Jesus. You see, go to the next slide, JR. Life is hard, but my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's true. Life is hard. But there's another truth. It's a paradoxical truth. That when I get in, when I come to him, come unto me, he said, when I come to him, that's when I begin to realize that though life is hard, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. I was in Austin on Thursday. Um, you know, by the way, I, I know that many of you, um, your team may have not have won yesterday. Okay. Um, but my, uh, my son is uh, assistant coach for soccer at Dallas Baptist University now. And their team yesterday won the conference tournament. And uh, so they're going to the NCAA um, you know, they're in the NCAA finals uh, starting in a, in a week. And so uh, they played uh, they played a noon game on Thursday. I just got up in the wee hours of Thursday morning. And I drove down and, and saw a soccer game. The other thing that I did was I took my 87-year-old Uncle Joe out for birthday dinner. He had a birthday this week, 87 years old. Now, my Uncle Joe, he's a T-SIP. Okay? It is undergrad and his law degree at, at, at UT and he's a loyal fan and he's he happens to be almost exactly the same age as Daryl K. Royal. Everybody knows Daryl Royal, right? I'm going to tell you folks, in a day in which we live, there are few men of quality in the coaching profession like Daryl Royal. Now I grew up in a family full of Aggies, okay? So, so when I say this, I'm saying this out of a great deal of respect for somebody who, who grew up in a home where that was our chief rival was Daryl K. Royal. But he was a man of character and integrity. Daryl Royal, you see, was born in, up in the panhandle of Oklahoma. He was a dust bowl kid. He was born into an impoverished family, and he struggled through school. Sports looked like it was the only way, you know, out for him, but he was not. He did not distinguish himself all that much on the athletic field, but he had a great mind, and he ended up, you know, getting an education degree and going into coaching, and he walked this very hard and difficult path, you know, over the course of several decades before he finally ended up at UT as the coach of UT. 
And he was interviewed. He was interviewed one time on ESPN and they asked him about his coaching philosophy. And he said, he said, you know, guys, I realize how I got here when I got to UT and I looked, you know, I looked, you know, back behind me. I realized that I had to cross a deep valley, a chasm and go through intense struggle to get where I was. And I was so grateful to be where I was. And so the interviewer said, so, so I guess it's your role as a coach to build a bridge for, you know, these student athletes to walk across. And he said, oh, no, 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 no. To do that, it would eliminate the struggle. I see every, you know, every year's football team as being on the other side of a deep ravine across the other side of a valley and a chasm. And my job as a coach, my job as a coach at the beginning of the year is to traverse across that valley and join that group of young men. And we would be, and we began to traverse and work our way to, and struggle. And, and because the only way we develop real character and real trust, a real sense of, of oneness as a team. The only way we develop integrity is to take them through the valley. That's why life is hard. Because the great lessons in our life come where? In the valley. But here's the beauty of it. This is the gospel. That Jesus doesn't stand over here and leave us to ourselves. You know, what Jesus does and does in your life is he crosses the chasm and he comes over here and he, and he joins with you and he leads you through the difficulties and the trials and the tragedies and the failures and the struggles until you come out a person of character. Read all of Romans chapter eight. We like to quote, you know, eight, you know, 28, 29, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I mean, those who he, he foreknew, he also predestined. He predestined his purpose. He predestined them to be conformed to the image of his son that they might be the, he might be a Christ might be the firstborn among many who will follow in his way and in his righteousness. But see, the first part of Romans in that whole, he's talking about the whole creation drone groans in travail. We're in pain until, until at last that is formed in us. But the promise is he'll use anything and everything that happens in our life in the struggles of life. So life is hard, yes. But we're not alone. And David wrote, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. That's where we discover the presence of God in a powerful kind of way. Life is hard, but uh, LaRue preached a sermon one time called, was it the title was The Holy But? You know, we're not really finished reading the sentence until we get to the, to the but, okay? But there it is. Life is difficult. Life is hard. But my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Look at the next one. 
It is true that you are not that important. But do you know that your name is written in heaven? Do you know that? Do you know how valuable you are to him? You see, here's what happens. In that hiding that we've been doing since the garden, we create these, these false selves, these, you know, these images that we project to other. We do everything we can to try to make ourselves significant. And what happens in the gospel is that we come to the realization, the realization that we are significantly valuable and our worth is found in him and him alone you know when when my granddaughter Ryan was born father you know Sam and and, and mother Jill their life was changed wasn't it yeah it was it was changed and suddenly they had this little little baby that had to be taken care of and watched after and, and, and loved on and things done for almost constantly. I mean, how many times do you change diapers those first few weeks, right? It's like it's a constant kind of a thing, you know. And before long, a little baby begins to realize, we understand how it works, that they are the center of mom and dad's universe. Right? Yeah. Hmm? And the moment they think mom and dad are kind of slipping up somewhere, what happens? They get happy. They tell you about it. You see, because, you know, for all practical purposes, their perception is, you know what I'm saying, is that it's all about me. It's all about you taking care of me, being there for me, meeting my needs, right? Right? What happens if baby Ryan is 25 years old and she's still acting like that? Are you getting the picture? At some point, it it was really interesting to us at the D6 conference this year. One of the speakers who was talking about teenagers in particular used these five exact statements in his speech. I'd read them in, in Roar's book, you know, like months before. He used those five statements. He said, he said, man, we're really messing up with a bunch of teenagers. If we let them continue to think they are the center of the universe. And if we build our family, you know, we become a child-centered family rather than a God-centered family. We're in deep weeds. Because they've got to learn that's not the way it works out there in the world. They've got to come to grips with they're not that important. But at the same time, but... They have incredible worth and value because they are creation. They are fashioned by the hand of God. And they've got to discover their value and their worth is rooted and grounded in Him. Not in what they do. Not in, you know, not in what they have. But intrinsically, that's spiritual growth. When you, when, see, when you finally come to embrace that truth and say, you know what, I'm not that important. I'm not the center of the universe. But I am loved. I am deeply loved by my Creator and my Redeemer who gave His life for me. 
Number three, it is true that your life is not about you. But. Read Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Colossians 3. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. He is your life. And when he is revealed, you will be revealed in all your glory with him. It is true. It's not about you. That your life is not about you. It's about who? It's about a much bigger story, you see. And that the gospel helps us to come to terms with the idea that, you know, that our story is caught up in his story. We had baptism a few weeks ago, and, uh, and, and I, I used a bottle in the swimming pool for an illustration. And uh, essentially what we did was we, we took a bottle, and we I dipped it down in the pool, and I, I put a little water in that bottle, and I said, said, let this bottle represent you, and now Christ is living in you. So Christ is in you. The Bible talks about Christ in you as the hope of glory. But the the term that the New Testament uses more often than any, the one that is used predominantly throughout the Scripture, is that you are, not only is Christ in you, but you are in Christ. That's even a bigger deal. You get it? So what we did to illustrate that is that we put a little of the water in there and said, now, let that represent Christ. But then we got this whole swimming pool here, and we just kind of chunked it out in the swimming pool. And then we reflected on the fact that in that swimming pool that I, I kind of walked off and I did a little, you know, little, you know, little math. It was about 34 feet long and about 14 feet wide. 27,000 gallons of water in that pool. So here we are. We got Christ in us, this little bottle. And then we're in Christ. It's a much bigger story. You get that picture? Okay, now just do that exponentially. Okay? Let's say that little bottle containing water is thrown into the oceans. Did you know there's 426 million trillion gallons of water? On the planet. And as Kyle was pointing out, we're just one tiny speck, one small planet in a solar system, in a universe full of solar systems, and billions and trillions of stars. And the Word of God says it was by His initiative and His Word that all of this was created. Does that make you feel small? It ought to. You see, because it's not about you. It's about Him. It's about His grace. It's about His story. You see, and what happens when I humble myself before Him, okay, you know, life is hard, but I'm not alone. He's going to teach me character. You know, and, and I'm not that important, but I am dearly loved. I am known. He knows the numbers of hairs on my head. And you know what? It's not about me. It's really not about... It's My story has meaning because my story is a part of His 
bigger story. Theologians call it the meta-narrative, the bigger story. And so my purpose is found, you know, and, and I grow when I begin to have this realization that it's really not about me. And then I begin to explore, and to, God, how have you gifted me? What is the, your purpose and your plan for my life? And let me fit into that purpose and that plan. Because I want to be a part of that bigger story. Fourth, it's true that you are not in control. But Jesus said, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to your lifespan? That's from Luke chapter 12. That's a great text. We live with such anxiety in our lives. You see, the moment I begin to have this realization, I'm not in control, but I know the one who is. That's called freedom. Freedom. I was at the grocery store with my grandkids a while back. Hudson on the right and Ryan on the left. You know, and there's Deb was, you know, back there and. You know, here's what I love about the grocery store nowadays. I mean, they have these really cool little cars. Isn't it great? You'll notice, you'll notice that Hudson and Ryan both have a steering wheel and they are turning it all the time. Are they in control? (laughs) They think they are. You think you are. Just. Photoshop your face. (laughs) It would be a good thing. I had a blast with them. You know what I'm saying? You know, while Deb was looking at food and stuff like that, I'd grab the cart and I'd go a little fast. In the grocery store, screaming around, let's go look at all the flowers. Well, that my, you know, my grandkids were screaming, having so much fun. They thought they were in control. They weren't. Guys, this is one of the strongest illusions in our life. Yeah. In a moment. I'm going to confess this. I'm going to say this. You know, I'm going to pay for this later. <laughs> On a different, in a different plane. Um, I was going to go meet my peeps for breakfast. You know, I've got two old seminary buddies that I've been friends with for 40 years. And, and I'm headed down toward downtown Dallas. And I am running a little bit late. Um, and, uh, so I'm kind of, I'm going a little bit fast and uh, I hit the, uh, I hit the, um, parking lot where the, where the restaurant is. And there's a, you know, there's a whole foods and it's about, you know, it's about six twenty in the morning though. And the lights are not on in the, you know, for some reason the lights are not on in the parking lot. And I had this really, you know, just cool idea, you know, whatever of just, I'll, Get, I'll turn in and then I'll do, I'll do the diagonal across the parking lot. Anybody else ever do that? Okay. All right. 
Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I mean, dark, you know, think dark parking lot. Okay. I'm in a hurry. I'm going to cut corners. I'm going to go to do the diagonal to get right to the corner bakery over there. You know what I'm saying? So I make the turn and I, I, I'm just about to hit the accelerator when a guy with a little bitty headlight on his bicycle goes right in front of my car. And in a split second, had I accelerated in a split second, my life would have changed. Do you believe me? I knew it for a fact. I pulled into a parking space and sat there and huffed and puffed for a few minutes. I never told Deb that because she thinks I'm a terrible driver already. (laughs) So I will pay. She's already reached over and grabbed my car keys off the chair here. But do you understand what I'm saying? You know, I think I'm in control. Am I? Do you realize how quick your life can change? You realize you could go to the doctor tomorrow and I'm just kind of feeling a little achy. And you suddenly you've got a diagnosis that you never thought you'd get. You think you're in control. Why? But Jesus says, you know what? You can spend all your life worrying and anxious and bent out of shape and wringing your hands or you can seek me first. My life and my kingdom and all these things that you worry about, you'll have what you need when you need it. You'll get grace for the day. And folks, it is true that you and I are going to die. But, but, and Paul writes, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things come to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us. From the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There is gospel in those five statements. If life wasn't hard, you wouldn't be looking. You wouldn't be searching. You wouldn't be questioning. You wouldn't be aware of how deep your need is. For a Savior who meets you, who comes to you in humility and weakness, in vulnerability and authenticity. You want to know Him? Come to Him in humility. And in weakness. Let's pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, you You know our hearts, and so you 
Uh, you know the inclination of our hearts. Um, you are familiar with all of our ways. And, um, and so our prayer is that you would, uh, that you would speak to every heart. Father, we, um, you know, what happens, um, because of our own um, guilt and shame over failure in our life or because of the hurt that we've received from others, the rejection or the abandonment or, or whatever. We build these walls. And they become so difficult. They become barriers over which it's so difficult for us to cross. And and my prayer is just simply that you will help us to see that in your son you have crossed every barrier. You've crossed every, you know, every valley and chasm to reach us. And you offer yourself to us. It blows my mind. That you would demonstrate your love in that way to us. That you would give yourself on a cross for us. And so, Father... If there is one person in this room that needs to make their move. To enter into the mystery and the paradox. um, The peace and the freedom of the gospel. May they come in this moment. In simple humility. And I know and trust that you will receive them. In the name of Christ, your Son, Father. Amen.